1: And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And again, I want to really thank our audience. You guys have been fantastic in reaching out to us. As a matter of fact, so many of you are reaching out to us that we may actually be a little delayed in getting back to some of you who have provided some feedback and comments on the things you've liked about our AI Today podcast and some suggestions for us. I know maybe some of you, we've taken a few days to respond, but we have your emails and uh, we are responding to them. And thank you very much. We're, we actually are also seeing a nice uh, group of folks who have registered for our training and for our webinars and for our cert- CPMI certification that have come from our AI Today podcast. And that's a really good sign for us. That means that uh, we're giving you relevant stuff. <laughs> we don't want to give you irrelevant stuff. And it is very tempting. I have to say, as a, as a podcast host, Kathleen and I have been doing this now for five years and uh, 250 plus episodes. I don't even know. I count as like getting close to 260, something like that. And, you know, it's very tempting, uh, you know, as a podcast host, because we get pitches all the time from folks who want us to talk about this product or this service or interview some academic person doing some research on something or some government person or just some random person who wrote a book, you know. And uh, I'm sure every podcast host gets these inquiries because we're on some list. I don't think we're being necessarily singled out. but but uh, I, our audience is very appealing to these uh, folks who want to promote because there's a lot of you, and you're so engaged. Uh, but as mentioned, you know, if we were just doing some random podcasts here and there, I don't think that would be very uh, valuable to you. So again, please do continue to reach out to us. Tell us what you're interested in. We're going to continue really focusing on the things you want. And those things you want really are focused around education and best practices and the sorts of things that you can do as you are applying AI to your job or even advanced topics and advanced data. Um, And we're certainly going to continue with that today on today's podcast episode.
0: Right. And again, as Ron had mentioned, thank you for reaching out. We know that we've had some series uh, of podcasts. You know, we've been doing this for five years now. So if you have not already, make sure to subscribe to the AI Today podcast. You can get notified of all of our future episodes and be, you know, one of the first to hear all of them. But we did a few months ago now at this point, our first AI failure series. And it was really popular so we wanted to spend this episode and then a few additional episodes coming up revisiting some of these common reasons that we see ai projects fail because we think that you know you can learn from others <laughs> don't make the same mistakes you don't have to learn the hard way so learn from others failures so you don't make those same mistakes. And we laid out it was, you know, a 10 podcast series that we laid out various reasons why AI projects failed. If you have not listened to them, I encourage you to go back and listen to all of them. But today specifically, we want to be revisiting one of the main reasons that we see AI projects fail. And this is when you are trusting the vendors too much with your AI project success. And what we mean by this is that sometimes what you're buying from the vendors, you know, and and what it is that they're actually selling you. There can be a product mismatch or they may be overhyping what exactly it is that they can do. Maybe you're not fully understanding your needs and so you end up buying a solution that is not actually the right solution for your problem. And sometimes we've seen vendors overselling as well. So we wanted to dig into this a little bit more on today's podcast and talk about uh, you know, we broke it down into five different uh, areas that we specifically see.
1: Mm-hmm. And the thing about vendor selection is that it it is a bit of an art, you know, in terms of picking the right technology. Actually, sometimes it, it can be, uh, you know, one of those things that people have strong opinions about. I mean, for example, you, you know, you might have your... Your audience of data scientists, data engineers, you know your developers—they may have a particular affinity for one particular platform, and they they want to buy all their solutions from that one platform. And and this goes—the reason why we talk about this as part of the failure series—is that you don't want your project to fail b- because of a bad vendor choice, you know, or an inappropriate vendor choice, or you chose a, a vendor that that maybe has good technology, but they're missing a very important piece of functionality or capability that you happen to need. And there's a reluctance or a resistance in your organization from either choosing another vendor, making another choice. People feel uh, emotionally connected a lot to their vendor selections. We understand it. you know, they put money in it. You have to learn those products, right? You get, you do training and you, and you invest in your, and maybe you're part of an ecosystem where it's not just that vendor, but maybe other vendors that are supporting it. And and it is hard sometimes to change your mind and you feel compelled, <laughs> you feel. But the thing about, about vendors and that we've learned kind of being on the other side of it, not having to, to necessarily deal with a single vendor all the time is that vendors are a mess. Um, You know, we sometimes say that vendors are a dumpster fire, you know, because honestly, I mean, these are companies that, are motivated to sell products and services they do, they are motivated to to provide value i mean i think i don't think any vendor would like to say that they're like purely in the snake oil business although we do we do hear that from time to time most vendors really are trying to help their customers but they they a lot of times uh these vendors fall into some patterns that are not helpful for you um and so therefore you know to be a successful ai project manager and to be a successful product project owner or product owner in the AI space, you do have to separate yourself a little bit uh, from being overly committed to any particular vendors because these vendors, well, they can do you wrong in a few ways, either intentionally or unintentionally. And basically, we're going to go over some of those. And the reasons why we're going over this now, you might say, well, wait a second, I already listened to this podcast, you know, six months ago or never long it was ago when we did this, is because things are changing. Things are changing in the vendor landscape. The economic environment between the last time we talked about this and now has really changed a lot. And therefore, it's actually changing some of the behaviors of the vendors. And so if you want to be successful, again, we're going to help you be successful by at least removing some of the, uh, suggesting some of the ways to remove some of the elements that. That may cause some problems. So uh I know I talked kind of in general terms, but let, let's sort of get into it and, and be a little more specific here.
0: Sure. So this first, you know, main area that we've identified is really this misleading vendor. So these are vendors that are telling you one thing when you're going out and seeking what they have, but they're actually doing something else. So we have previously talked about pseudo-ai, where this is, you know, they're not actually doing AI, but they're faking fake it until you make it, we say. Some of these examples are quite old, but worth pointing out because it's important to identify what's happening so you can identify this in the future when you're talking to vendors. So a few years ago now, Expensify, who you know you look at, it looks at receipts and expenses to uh, help with invoice processing, was actually using humans. They were using Amazon Mechanical Turk for... Uh, their invoice processing, which caused issues because it wasn't being disclosed that humans were actually looking at this. And companies thought that it was you know, fully uh, AI and no humans in the loop at all. Also, x.ai was using humans for scheduling. So it's a scheduling tool. And then people thought that they were buying something that would actually go and help them uh, schedule, didn't realize there was humans in the loop there, which again, is not AI. And then Facebook, they used humans for their M assistant, which they have now since canned. So those are just some examples that we've seen with that you know, pseudo AI. But then there's been more recent examples where we've seen vendors being misleading. Not always is this on purpose, but sometimes it
1: is. Yeah. I think one of the most recent in the past six months has been the use of, uh, in, especially in government agencies, the use of facial recognition technology uh, for logins. And especially this has been the case. There's a lot of, um, uh, pressure, if you will. Uh, there has been, a, as a result of the pandemic, there was a lot of like payments for things like unemployment. You know, uh, there were, there were also these loans, the PPP loans and other loans and every, every jurisdiction has had them. And because we were doing everything remotely, you, you had to make sure that you were giving money to the right person, right? So if they said they were unemployed, well, they had a, kind of prove who they were. Otherwise, you know, people could... F- fraudulently be applying for unemployment saying that they're one person but they're really someone else or you know all these sorts of things and so uh you know it, it was very much in high demand to have to be able to like upload identity documents and check them and and so there was a, a vendor out there uh it's in the news so I'll, I'll mention we're trying not to mention too many vendors but by name because trust me there are for every vendor we mention there's probably like 10 vendors who are doing something similar uh and either having the same problems or not. So we don't want to allowed any vendor for being a good behavior or bad behavior. But this is in the news. A company called ID.me uh, was being used by uh, the U.S. federal government for their login services for the IRS and for other services. And what they said was that uh, they had this matching so that they can make sure that the when you uploaded a, a digital ID, a, a document, you know, uh, some sort of ID document, and then you would take a, a picture of yourself, a selfie. Uh, it would match it. It would say, okay, it would say that the person that's live on the camera uh, matches the ID document. And therefore, you know, you can guarantee that the person who is applying for something really is who they were. But uh, what they were saying was that it was matching you against this. Uh, ID document, but that's not what they were actually doing. What they were really doing is they were using a database of faces. Uh, I think it was, it ended up being Amazon recognition. Don't quote me if I'm wrong. I think I saw this in some publication somewhere and they were just sort of checking against that, which of course, is is wrong for many reasons. Uh, one, you're uploading your digital ID documents. So do those ID documents then get merged into this really big... You probably wouldn't want that to happen with your... If you upload a driver's license, do you really want your face now being used to be matched against anybody in the world? Uh, probably not what you had expected. So there's that issue of disclosure and all that sort of stuff. But there's also the issue that it's not even matching against that particular document. It's just matching against this database, which you know has all sorts of... Failure modes, you know. Once people found out, uh, you know, then people started pulling back and you know, not using ID to me. Now the company's in trouble, and now uh the US Congress has got all sorts of investigations. You don't want to be on the other end of that. We use it really more as an example. it's not about this one particular vendor, it's about the fact that. When you're using AI, you should at when a vendor is using AI, you should ask more questions. And it's, I know it's hard for many of you who don't have experience, especially doing AI projects. You don't know what questions to ask, and therefore maybe the people in the government didn't know to ask about things like: Is it going to be a one-to-one match with the document or a one-to-many match? They wouldn't know that, right? But you realize that uh, the vendor is not going to tell you that. When they do, they might be misleading you. So um, you really need to find a way before you invest in a vendor like that. You need to find a way to verify and test what they're saying, uh, especially if the outcome could really hurt you if if it's bad.
0: Exactly. So the second area that we've seen is that there are vendors who are just in a state of change but not necessarily in a good way. So vendors who fall into this category could have been vendors that raised a lot of money. I mean, we have had podcasts where we talk about the amount of money raised for AI companies is just insane. So they've raised a lot of money and now what do they do? Well, they need to show, to show some sort of return or maybe they've gone public and now they need to show, you know, return. Uh, there and continue to show results. So if they grow too quickly or they've grown in weird ways, you know, sometimes companies, maybe they've pivoted in weird ways or they've uh, added additional products and services, acquired companies that maybe weren't ended up, didn't being like the best match. Um, what we've seen is that now they've had to lay off large percentages of their workforce. And this has been in the news Since the last time that we have done this podcast, which is specifically why we wanted to bring this up. So we're not going to name names here, but in the past few months specifically, there have been very large, very large private and large public organizations that have laid off, you know, a noteworthy number of employees, whatever that means for them. And this can be for a bunch of different reasons, but they are laying this off. Some are saying that there may be a slowdown. some have had revenue growth problems. Others have just, like we said, grown too quickly, um, had economic uncertainty. So you know, there's there's different reasons for it, but we have been noticing it. And it's from many, many companies, which is why we don't want to call out any specifically.
1: Yeah, and and you know Kathleen and I have a soft spot in our heart for startups. We like startups. We love entrepreneurs. I mean, you know, we'd have nothing bad to say. We spent you know most of our time, honestly, you know, when we were focusing on market research, really talking to startups. So we weren't spending that much time talking to the large established companies because there's just so many <laughs> startups. They were all raising money. They all trying to get attention for themselves. Uh, but but we are sort of in a different state of the uh, of environment and the economy where we are now post pandemic global uh, you know. Political instability. We have issues with supply chain problems, inflation, interest rates. So, this is really, if you're a startup right now, you know you're feeling the world of hurt. If you are uh, haven't already, you know exited <laughs> in one way or the other, and you're still dependent on on venture capital. We talked about this during the AI winters podcast episode. How there's a decline of investment right now. Uh, going, we're not in that up cycle anymore. So, when you're buying technology from a startup. And that startup might have great things. We have nothing really bad to say in general about startup technology just realized that this is a risky time right now to be making bets on on startups and those startups will may end up uh you know going broke we've actually talked to a few uh, we'll, we'll bring up the ml ops space in a, in a while but we were actually spending some time with this one ml ops company one day they emailed us and said we're out of business i was <laughs> came as a little bit of a surprise because like we interviewed them on a podcast and like like a week or two later they're out of business so that's not so great um so hedge your bets hedge your bets if you're <laughs> betting on a startup startup, make sure you have alternatives. You know, If there's open source, that's even better. Um, there's also uh, one other final note about vendors is some vendors are still trying to find their market fit. You know, They've been around for many, many, many years, but they haven't quite figured out who their customers are. Uh, and they haven't quite figured out the best product. So you might find that a product that you're using may get discontinued and you don't want to be like that you know the weird, uh, you know, <laughs> customer that that is like the only customer for that product. You, you know how that ends. That story never ends well. So, anyway. no.
0: <laughs> so yes, cautionary tale. So another area that we've identified is vendors in a market category that might not really exist, even if you're being told that it is a market category. So, for example, as Ron mentioned, MLOps. I mean, we have been covering this space for many years and we've always questioned. We said, yes, MLOps is a thing that you do, but do you really need companies and many companies out there selling MLOps solutions or not? And there's a lot of companies, like we said, some have actually folded, uh, which was a little bit of a surprise because that company specifically was folding when things were starting to get like super, super hot in that space and very buzzy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so we were like, wow, okay, what's that meaning for the market? And we had been paying attention and we hadn't seen a ton of other companies, uh, you know, fold like they did. But again, we've been keeping an eye on this space and saying, you know, where is it headed?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, for one category, which is so sad to even talk about this category as like having chronic problems. Uh, besides the synthetic data market's been around, is new, it's a new market. It's actually hard to tell if it really deserves to have a whole bunch of new products or whether those products will all become part of sort of data labeling, data annotation. Uh, that's sort of the the jury is still out on that one. But the sad area is robotics. I love, you know, we all love robotics so much, but man, I could tell you, if someone comes up to me like, I've got a new, like a like a physical robotics company, not like a software automation thing. Like, uh, I, I'm building a new robotics company and I want you to invest in my whatever, delivery robot, uh, packing robot, shelf scanning robot. I'm like, man like 90% chance, dude, you're going to be out of business. I mean, I have high hopes for for all the robotics company, but the number of robotic companies on our Deadpool list just keeps growing. I don't even money, and from like some really well known people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> very
0: well known people that founders of the company have raised a ton of money. That if they were not in that physical hardware space, would have been doing a lot better. Uh, we actually haven't done our you know robotics Deadpool podcast in quite oh, some maybe. time. Maybe so we should. So maybe do. we'll revisit that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> sad, sad, but true. But anyway, if if you are investing in that technology and you are yourselves not uh, creating it from scratch, uh, there's a lot of risk involved and you want to hedge the, those bets. If you need the robot, you know, if you're building, if you're using delivery robots or packing robots or shelf, whatever robots, then uh, have some sort of contractual clause that allows you to at least have the intellectual property or something if the company goes under something like that.
0: Yeah. So give you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good luck. Good but, luck.
1: Yeah. Right. Good luck. <laughs> Creditors have first claim on that one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So another area that we've seen is vendors who pretend that they have a product, but they really are consulting firms. And what we mean by that is that, you know, they say that they have a product, they try and position themselves as that. But when we start digging a little bit deeper we really can't figure out what it is that they do and what their product is. and and so when we're confused, we're like, well, other people must be too. I mean, how do you have meaningful conversations here, especially if you are not sure what questions to even ask? So this is what we call product based consulting. There are a number of vendors out here that do it again, they've raised a lot of money uh, somehow. and so we say just, you know, be cautious around these vendors as well.
1: Yeah. Um, this is the area where it's like, I swear, you know, Kathleen and I have had phone calls with these vendors, multiple phone calls. and It's, it's not a good feeling to be like, I'm not really sure what you do <laughs> because you, you start questioning yourself. I'm like, am I the idiot? Am I the, old, the person on this phone that like there's using these words? I'm seeing these slides, but I still don't quite get what they do. And it's like Kathleen and I are Yeah, we've been around the block. We've seen like 100 companies. It's easier for us to... If someone says, I got a data labeling company, I'm just bringing that by example. And they show us like examples of data annotation. Okay, we get it. I mean, you know, there are nuances, there's details and like how they do the annotation that may start to get technically, you know, very specific. But we get what they do. We get their value prop. Sometimes we we may have to ask some details of like, okay, do you have the people working for you? Was it like a crowdsource thing? But we know at least the questions to ask. But there are these other vendors that go we do this AI thing. And we have an AI operating system or they go, we have some AI platform or they go, we have an AI layer. They use these words and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then they show us these slides and they're like, we do this big stack and it's always like, it's always this uh, layer cake thing, you know, or with lots of uh, squares and occupying different places and, and and you look at it and you scratch your head and, and you go, okay, okay, but what, what exactly am I buying? And it ends up, Not always, but like nine times out of 10, you're buying some sort of solution where they're like, oh, we're going to do this for you in the banking industry or the oil and gas industry or the manufacturing industry. And we come in here with our people and our technology. I'm like, well, why did not you just say that from the beginning then? You know, you could have said, oh, we're a consulting company, but we built our own platform, you know, that uses our own tools, you know. Uh,
0: yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, but they don't want to call themselves that <laughs> they don't know. <So, laughs> and that's because why they don't. But when Ron says that's actually what they are, when, when, mm-hmm. if they were to explain themselves that way, I go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I think they wouldn't get money. They wouldn't raise, right. see money. Yeah. That they want. Bingo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's why they don't say it. But right. that's a lot more what they are, right? So don't be fooled. And if you if you understand that, then you'll really understand what it is you're buying and make sure that it's a right fit for you.
1: Yeah, that's actually harder. And when we talk about, we'll talk about that next in terms of lock-in, which is making sure the vendor is not going to capture your business forever um this is these these vendor uh, technology based consulting firms usually you can get into more trouble with vendor lock in because they have the whole solution i mean you you can't just uh, if you have something that's doing you know oil and gas exploration predictive analytics thing right but it's based on this proprietary technology you can't separate the application from their proprietary technology you can't decide oh i want to use somebody else now for that hmm, those models that they built are all based on that technology, the tooling, uh, you you can get locked in. And so so there's a concern for that. Now that may not be a problem, because maybe the overall solution works better for you. There are many, there's many situations. For example, one of the vendors that we've spent time talking to that really is product-based consulting, but they're actually a public company. They have a lot of great technology, you know, is focused on things like uh natural language processing, but they use it in the policing. One of the applications is in policing where they can do things like automatically redact things from. Uh, body cams, body cam footage. You know, where, where, in order, if you're going to make the body cam footage public, you have to blur people's faces out. You have to make sure if they're saying their address, you don't actually include that in the audio or their driver's license. Mm -hmm. And this system automatically does it. You know what? It's probably much easier just to buy that whole package than to buy each of the components and train the data yourself. So I get it. I get it. Those there there are solutions, but realize that. When you're committed to that, you are committed to that. So let's talk a little bit about being committed to the vendor. (laughs)
0: Right. So the uh, the next and final area that we did want to bring up is vendor lock-in. Many, many, many people will say to us, we want to prevent vendor lock-in. We don't want vendor lock-in. But then what happens? They get vendor lock-in. So it's okay if you understand this and say, all right, I understand why and how I, I have to do this. And I'm going to choose to move forward. Sometimes as you continue to add in scope or add different features, you can get that vendor lock-in unknowingly. And then now you're like, oh, my God, what do I do? As Ron brought up earlier, where if you know it's this consulting firm that's built a solution and you go with them, you may unknowingly be getting that vendor lock-in because that wasn't shared at the beginning. And now you're six months into the project and the engagement. And you're like, oh. Uh, wow, okay, I guess I'm, I'm stuck with this. And again, if vendors pivot or change, add different features, drop different features, that can be an issue. So that's why it's important to, to really understand vendor lock-in and what it means to you. If it's a large organization and you really feel secure with what they're offering and, and that it won't change, then that's okay. So we have a few examples of different mm-hmm. areas where we've seen common vendor lock in
1: yeah. And, and th- if you're not familiar with the lock-in concept, it's the idea that once the vendor has your business and you've sort of committed to the vendor and, and you're using the vendor solution, it's very difficult to switch vendors, right? That's what the lock is. They're They've sort of locked in your business for a, a large amount of time. And honestly... As a, as a vendor, as a software company, you kind of want a little bit of vendor lock-in. You don't want to make it too easy <laughs> for your customers to switch because, uh, you know, uh, your, your customers change too. Like maybe there's some new C-level who decides that they don't like your platform and they want to go somewhere else or something's changed. If you make it too easy to switch, then... Well, uh, people will switch, right? But at the same time, you don't want a lot of vendor lock-in because then that introduces non-competitive behavior. People can start jacking up the price. They can start removing features. They can start, you know, forcing you to do things that are not in your best interest. And that's the problem with vendor lock-in. You know, a lot of times it's financial, you know, basically uh, you're kind of over a barrel and you don't have much choice. As to uh, to the features, so you know one of the areas that that really right now has has the most sort of uh, danger, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, of lock in are the cloud based machine learning as a service vendors, and uh, you know it's because it's a very attractive uh, place to be. If uh, you know, you know, I'll name all the cloud vendors, so they're not singling out anybody. You know, you have Amazon, Microsoft, Google, IBM, a few others, and you know they're they try to provide as much of a complete offering as they can in the cloud. But there's lock-in because when you move your data to your cloud, like once you commit your data to like an S3 bucket or an Azure thing, and you you got like petabytes of data there, it's very hard to move that data somewhere else. And the more that you've piled on top of that with analytics tools, using their pre-trained models, maybe you're using their solution suite for uh, everything from building and running machine learning models to operationalizing them and deploying them you 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 get committed right yeah. and so people look for things like well now i want multi cloud or i want a uh, hybrid you know this gives you a little bit of an out but it but it is uh, it introduces cost you know it's like you're like well if one cloud is expensive probably two will be ex- more expensive <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> so we- so you kind of trade off lock-in for total um, cost and, yeah. and that may not be- uh, you Feasible,
0: know, honestly, for many organizations, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that we've seen is, you know, this ever-expanding footprint of ML platforms. Companies, as we mentioned earlier, right? They are acquiring, they are adding features, they are growing. And so they're just continuing to grow and expand with what they can do. This can be a good thing because if you've really enjoyed working with that vendor and all of your data is there and you know, you're know you working with them, then as they continue to grow, you can with them. But it can also be challenging if they're not growing the way that you were hoping that they would grow or if they're not growing the same way that you're growing.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of these, these inevitable things like whenever we see a company has... Um... Either made some fundamental change in their business. Like they've gotten acquired, they've gone public or even gone private. We've actually seen companies that are public now taking private. You're like, oh, something's going to change. Something's going to change. Uh, functionality Give will go up. months. Yeah. a few months. Yeah, price will go up. And you're like, oh. it's like, it's always the fear of dread when the company that you've been working with, that you've really loved working with has just gone public or just gotten acquired. Or just uh,
0: raised a really significant round.
1: like, (laughs) Like, please. So, um, so what we've we have seen in the past, definitely, I've seen in the past, is in my previous analyst firm, you know, uh, the companies that tend to be acquisitive um, tend to. Well, the problem with with lots of acquisitions is that it actually reduces choice, and it and it actually it, it it doesn't inspire satisfaction. You know, companies like Oracle, SAP, IBM doesn't really matter. You know, they started acquiring all the companies in the enterprise software space. There used to be all these different choices for ERP platforms, lots of choices for relational databases, remember Sybase, those guys, you know, uh, there used to be lots of choices for enterprise integration. Now there really aren't a lot of choices and, and it's sort of like, you kind of go from not great to worse. And, and, and <laughs> these companies aren't as motivated, uh, to, to, to help you because, uh, they know they have your business. This is a lock-in. And if they don't have your business, their general approach is not necessarily to make their products better but is to acquire the company that you are doing business with. And, uh, it's, you know, not, not, I understand that's the way of the markets, but uh, as a customer, that never really feels good. You're like, you know, I'm next on that acquisition list. And now I'm going to work with that company that I never wanted to work with uh, because they just swallowed me up. So anyway.
0: Exactly. So, you know, you can say, all right, well, I'm not going to go with a vendor. I'm going to go open source. All right. Well, just understand what's involved with open source. And, you know, do you have folks that can use it? Are there going to be, you know, how are you going to get support for that? Are you going to actually go with a vendor that helps support open source? Uh, so, you know, will it get the shaft as well? I mean, will we see open source slowly not becoming a thing anymore? Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are all questions that you need to be considering and making sure that you're aware of. you know, None of these on its own will cause your project to fail, but you need to understand that these are reasons that they fail, right? At the end of the day, that's what we're bringing up. These are reasons, common reasons why we see AI projects fail. And in this particular podcast, we're talking about when there's that vendor misalignment with what it is that you actually think that you're getting. So just when you need to get to this, Be cautious. Make sure that you're asking the right questions. Make sure that you're really understanding what it is that you're getting and that you are picking the best vendor for your problem so that you are going to set your project up for success. And that's why it's so important that we talk about the failures because this is what we've seen, right? We've experienced it. We've seen clients experience it. We've talked to people and they've shared this with us. So we don't want you to make these same mistakes.
1: Yeah, I mean, one notable field we try really hard not to talk about vendors, even though I know we've mentioned a few. One, as I mentioned, they all have problems. We say all vendors are dumpster fires, but uh, it, so that so we don't want to single out anybody for that reason. But there is, I would say, sort of like this this final note, right about picking a vendor where the vendor choice actually was the cause of failure. And probably the most notable example of that that has been in the press has been IBM Watson and IBM Watson Health specifically, because people were depending on IBM's solution to really solve many problems that were involved in healthcare. And IBM kind of went all in on healthcare. They decided that this was a problem they really wanted to solve. And, you know, these are not ill intentions. Healthcare has got lots of problems, you know, whether it's Diagnosing issues and radiology issues and issues of like you know healthcare and management of healthcare. It's lots of inefficiency. I could totally see where it's like if we can even just solve one of these problems, you know, we've made a huge dent. Unfortunately, we had the overpromise, the underdeliver, the misalignment of expectations, all the things we just talked about. The vendor claims that didn't match up to their ability. Uh, the issues of vendor lock-in and <laughs> they all came to a head. And when IBM Watson Really, the IBM Watson Health really failed. It took all those projects with them. So those companies that did depend on that, and this was a lot of their reason for failure. So even though you might be able to point to, that, we have all these other failure podcasts, you can point to bad data, you can point to data quantity and quality issues, you can point to issues of misalignment of the, the, the problem, the solution, ROI. Sometimes it really is picking the wrong vendor can 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 sink you. And if these companies, instead of selecting, say, Watson Health, if they had maybe done some other approaches, would they would they still have had that same rate of failure? Well, I don't know. But at least you wouldn't have been able to point to this reason why why it failed. So just a little (laughs) end note on that.
0: Exactly, and it is a great point to bring up. So again. Understand the common reasons why projects fail. Since it was such a popular series and things continually change, we will be coming back to some of these topics in future podcasts. So, again, if you're not subscribed, make sure to subscribe to AI Today so that you can get notified of all of those episodes. We also love when our listeners rate our podcast. So, please make sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And you can reach out to us as well. We had a call out for you. To reach out to us listeners, and you have, and we love hearing from you. So please do continue to reach out. You can email us at infocognolytica.com. At That's I N-F O at C-O-G-N-I-L- YTICA.com. You can go to our website. We have a form that you can fill out there. You can also find us on LinkedIn. So we're very easy to get a hold of. We encourage you to reach out, continue to engage, let us know what episodes you like, let us know what areas you'd like us to continue to focus on. And as well, if you're interested in signing up for any upcoming webinars that we have, we encourage you to reach out. You can uh, sign up for our upcoming introduction to CPMAI, our Cognitive Project Management for AI webinar uh, at Cognolytica. You can go to cognolytica.comslash CPMAI to learn more about CPMAI itself. And if you'd like to register for the webinar, go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI, and it'll pull you up to our next upcoming webinar. This is going to be a series. We're we're running this numerous times, so it doesn't matter when you're listening to our podcast. You can jump into the next one and we would love to engage with you. That gives us the opportunity to have more of those two-way conversations with our listeners. So again, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts,